please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19. Are you guys glad that summer finally hit? So nice to have some summer evenings and have it, have it be warm. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the change of seasons. We thank you for your love for us. Jesus, we thank you that you're the Lamb of God that paid the price for our sins, that you're the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We desire to hear your voice through the pages of Scripture. Would you remove distractions, give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. God, would you set me aside and give me grace and strength in teaching your word. May we be edified, may we grow through the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've been studying the life of David, we're at a point now where his son Absalom committed treason against him, tried to kill him. Absalom ultimately dies. How? He gets hung by his hair in a tree. Joab kills him. David now is at a place where he's been in hiding. He left Jerusalem, and he's got to have re-entry back to Jerusalem, the long road back home. As we study the scriptures, one of the things that we're convinced of here is that God doesn't waste words. Do you agree? Every word in the scripture has been given to us by God for a purpose and for a reason. So God is giving us this snapshot in David's life to teach us. And there's times in our lives where we will experience re-entry. We'll have a long road back home, won't we? Maybe it's a, a business trip and you've been traveling a lot and your family's been doing life here without you, and now you've got to re-enter into daily life. Maybe you do go on a missions trip. And as wonderful as short-term mission trips are, there's a backside to those missions trips. It's called re-entry. It's called real life. It's living out the mission inside of a, of a daily context. You go on a men's retreat, a women's retreat. Kids go to kids' camp. There's, there's a re-entry, isn't there? There's also times in our lives where we have a big life change. There's difficulty, there's trial, there's trauma. Maybe you are going through a huge health challenge. You've just finished cancer treatments, and now you've got to try to re-enter into daily life. You know, God blesses you with a child. Now there's going to be a new normal in your home, isn't there? You're going to have to try to re-enter into daily life. And there's some things that David does, I think, that are really valuable for us to learn as we will go through times of re-entry as well. Verse 1, And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all of the people. For the people heard it said, That day the king is grieved for his son. Absalom's trying to take his throne. There's people that rallied around David that sacrificed their lives. In totality, there was 20,000 that were killed, some from Absalom's camp, some from David's camp. And now David's so heartbroken over the loss of his son Absalom that the atmosphere amongst those that fought with David is one of mourning instead of one of celebration that the throne of David had been saved. In verse 3, and the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in the battle. So they're confused. They're going home in shame. They know that Absalom needs to be stood up against, but Absalom is the king's son. 
And so now they go home and instead of in an atmosphere of victory, of one of feeling shame and, and going home in that attitude. But the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This is what David said at the end of chapter 18. It's almost his song that he can't get off of his heart and his mind. My son Absalom, my son Absalom, grieving his death, but also grieving the lack of relationship, and he's in that place. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives, the lives of your concubines. Joab's saying, you don't realize what you're doing here. You're, you're communicating disrespect to those that sacrificed their life to save you and that you love your enemies and hate your friends. You have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants, for today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. If we would have died and Absalom would have lived, you would have been happy. You would have been much more pleased. Now therefore, arise, go out, and speak comfort to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. It's got to be a little bit hard for David to receive from Joab because Joab had killed Absalom against his, his wishes. But at this point, Absalom is right on. Or excuse me, Joab is right on. He sees the situation. And he's like, David, you've got to put your grief aside for a moment and appreciate the people that have sacrificed your life for you. So here's the first thing to write down if you're thinking about how do I apply this to a stressful time, a time of re-entry, is emotions must be controlled. Emotions must be controlled. Now let's talk our way through this. There's some that would put pressure on Christians to say it's ungodly to grieve, and I don't want you to hear that, there, that we need to grieve as believers. In fact, the scripture teaches us to be able to grieve, and as a culture, a lot of times, we don't know how to grieve. So I'm not saying that David shouldn't be grieved over the loss of his son and the lack of, of relationships. But as a leader, as the king of Israel, he's not handling his grief in a wise manner. Now hear me out on this. Is he should be going to the Lord, and he should be going to people he can trust that can help him process the grief. But he's so overcome, he's passing on all of his grief to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel doesn't have the maturity to be able to help David process this. It's not their job. And so as we look at these times of reentry, they're highly emotional, aren't they? For David, this is very emotionally charged. And so things are not normal. Things are different. It's a long road back home. And if we're not careful, our emotions will get the best of us, and we're not grieving appropriately. We're not going to the Lord first and foremost, and we're not going to the people that can really help us. We're just so overcome, we're kind of puking it out on everybody. Now, can we agree we've all been there? You know, I look at, at my life and I go, man, there's some times where I'm so overcome with my emotion and my grief. I just want, want everybody to know, and I'm not stopping to consider, is it really helpful to them? And are they the appropriate person in hearing 
this grief. And 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, cast your care upon the Lord, for he cares for you. We live in a day and age where it's so easy to make everything public, isn't it? You can put all your emotions out on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and the whole entire world, all your friends and your extended friends, and you don't even know your friends on your friends list. You just puked out everything there on, on Facebook, and then they start to comment on it. It's like, oh, and before you know it, it's not very helpful, isn't it? It's one thing to ask for prayer. It's one thing to share it in an appropriate way, but we need to be wise and say, am I going to the Lord? Am I going to the appropriate people? Or am I allowing this to affect others that it doesn't need to? Think about how your emotions affect people. David's emotions are affecting the nation of, of Israel as the leader. And all of us have been given spheres of influence. And how are our emotions affecting our marriage? How are our emotions affecting our families? At work, maybe God has given you influence at your work, whether you're a boss or not. And there's times of re-entry at work, isn't there? Things change. There's, there's new bosses and there's new philosophies and there's things that have to happen with business as times change, and you can get so caught up in the midst of that, then you're allowing that emotion to go to the whole company when maybe it needs to go to the Lord and to two or three other people that can really help help navigate that. So please don't hear that you can't grieve. It's important to grieve and go to the Lord with that grief and the appropriate people, but it's not helpful to puke it out to everybody. And David does that here, and Joab says, look, you gotta get your emotions under control. Because if you don't, these people aren't going to follow you. They've just risked their lives for you. In verse 8, Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for everyone of Israel had fled to his tent. This is difficult for David, I'm sure, but he hears from Joab a difficult source, and he responds. He rises, he goes to the gate, which was the place of leadership, for the elders, and the people see that, and now they all come around him. And and at times, we need to arise. We need to arise and say, okay, I'm giving this to the Lord. I'm giving it to the appropriate people, but now I'm rising to the leadership that God has called me to. Now, all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, the king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he's fled from the land because of Absalom. You'd think that this would just be a smooth re-entry, but that's not the case. Absalom had done a lot of damage in the hearts and the minds of people. So saying David stood up against the Philistines, but he fled from Absalom. I don't know if he should be king. It wasn't just a given that they would welcome him back to the throne in Jerusalem. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So they're in a quandary. I don't know if David should be the king, but Absalom's dead, and we anointed Absalom. So King David said to Zadok and Abathar the priests, saying, speak to the elders of Judah, saying, why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Since the words of Israel have come to the king to his very house. You are my brethren, you're my bone and flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? So David has a question for Judah, his tribe. He's from the tribe of Judah, saying, guys, 
Why are you the last ones to get on board to bring me back as king? In times of reentry, second thing to consider is trust must be regained. David's at a point, even though he didn't do anything wrong, Absalom committed treason, not that David's without guilt throughout his life. We know that David contributed to this mess, but Absalom was the one who committed treason. David now realizes this is a mess, so I have to be patient, pose some questions, and regain trust even with my own tribe, Judah. And a lot of times we don't have the patience to regain trust in times of, of reentry. And if we are the person that caused the pain by our sin, we go, I'm repentant. God's forgiven me. You should forgive me. Let's just pretend like none of this ever happened. And the person who is hurt, they say, slow down a little bit. I do forgive you, but you're going to have to be patient and show me in your actions to regain my trust. Does that make sense? And this just happens through life. Work changes, life changes, all of these things. Re-entry, and all of a sudden, hey, I've been here a long time. David's like, I've been king for a really long time. People know me. They know my character. They know my strengths, my weaknesses. But now I've got to be patient, and I've got to go through this process of regaining trust. And the attitude that David has, I don't think that he is forcing the issue. He's asking the question humbly. He could easily say, look, I'm king. You know, this whole little insurgency from Absalom, it was never legit. He's dead. I'm back. Accept it. But instead, he poses the question. He wants Israel to get behind him again by their own choice. And say to Emmaus, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if you are not commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. Why does he replace Joab? Because Joab killed his son. Because Joab killed Absalom. Emmaus, he was the general that Absalom had chosen. So this is a political move. David understands politics. He says, if I take Absalom's general, I'm going to win the trust of some of those who were with Absalom, plus Joab's on the outs with me. So, so David makes a smart political move there. So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word to the king, return you and all of your servants. So all of Judah, they're the first ones to get on board. They say, okay, we're with you. They're unanimously with David for him to return to Jerusalem. Then the king returned and came to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. The Jordan River, the boundary of Israel. David had to cross over the Jordan when he was fleeing. Now he's coming back into to Israel, and Judah, the tribe of Judah, is there to meet him and escort him as he re-enters this long road back home. And Shimei, the son of Girah, a Benjamite, who was from Barum, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. You guys remember Shimei? Remember, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Why is that important? Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. When David was fleeing Jerusalem, Shimei was right there to throw stones at him, to kick up dust, to kick up dirt, to curse. And David chose to not, not kill him. And he realizes, I need to make things right. 
So he comes to, to David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons, and his 20 servants with him, and they went over the Jordan before the king. So this is interesting, because you've got the tribe of Judah, who's loyal to David, but now you have Shimei and a thousand Benjamites, plus Ziba, who was a Benjamite as well. Now Ziba had been assigned to Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, and betrayed Mephibosheth. So this is a big gathering, a big gathering of people right around uh, the Jordan River, some for David, some not so sure how they feel about David. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gerah, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here am I, the first to come today of all of the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my lord the king. Shimei's at this place where he's saying, please forgive me. Here's the iniquity that I've done. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. Abishai, that was his recommendation the first time around. He's like, hey, David, can I lop this guy's head off? David's like, no, you can't. Sorry. And here, once again, that's what Abishai desires to do. And David said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Remember that he's in this place where he's counseling Abishai or to not kill Shimei. Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. David is secure in the position that God had given to him. He says, I know that I'm the king of Israel. God has given me that position. Even though people are questioning, even though I have to go through this road of reentry, I think those that are most secure in the Lord don't have to cut other people down. Would you agree? You know God's placed you in your job. You know you have strengths and weaknesses. You don't have to cut other people down. You don't have to try to prove yourself. You know what God's done in your marriage. Other people may look at you with skepticism. You don't, you don't have to, to cut them down. It's not a competition. It's not a race because you're secure in the Lord. You know that you're loved by God. You know what Jesus has, has done for you. David, at this point in the journey, shows great wisdom in extending grace and not killing Shimei. And it's another thing for us to consider is grace must be extended. In times of reentry, things aren't normal. They will never be the same. Your life's going to find a new normal. Things are never going to be the same for David. It's an important time to extend grace, to extend mercy. Now, do you guys think that Shimei means it, his apology, or he's just trying to get out of trouble? As we go on and study through 2 Samuel into 1 Kings, Solomon becomes 
king after David, and David says, keep your eye on Shimei. Make sure he doesn't leave Jerusalem. If he does, you need to kill him. David never believed that Shimei was honest in his repentance. I don't think he was at a place where he really meant this apology. It sounded good, but his heart hadn't changed towards David to the point where David's on his deathbed's like, you better watch Shimei. But David knew that this was not the time to deal with the motive of Shimei's heart. This was a time to extend grace because of the pressure. Can you imagine right here as David's got a thousand Benjamites who are already looking at him under scrutiny and he lops off the head of Shimei? It could have been done for David. It could have been over for David. So how do we apply this to our lives? You know that you're workplace is going through transition. It's a time of re-entry. It's a time of great pressure. It's a time of, of change. You would be wise to understand that this is a good time to be intentional about giving people an extra measure of grace. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. And ultimately, it's going to point them to the Lord because times are difficult. Times are stressful. There's times in a family where things aren't normal. You know that. Husbands, wives, single parents, you know that. Okay, we are under extra stress right now as a family. Amber and I call those times, we communicate those times to one another and say, this is a time where it's a season for grace. We need extra grace for each other. Me to Amber, Amber to me, to the kids, because we're under extra pressure. It really developed for us when God blessed us with Hannah, you know, our, our oldest daughter. We're parents for the, for the first time. You don't know what you don't know until you have your, your first child, right? So we're a few weeks into this. Hannah's not sleeping. We're not sleeping. We're enjoying it, but we're also extremely tired. And Amber asked me a question at our, our kitchen table, and in my mind, I answered her. Like, I, I, I thought that I said it out loud, you know? And then she looked at me and she said, what, you're not answering me now? And I was like, no, I answered you, you know? I, 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 no, no. And then we started laughing because we realized what had happened. And we looked at each other and we go, we are not normal right now. Like, we've got to give each other an extra season of grace. And it really helped us. And with the birth of every child, we've got four, four children, we've realized this is not a time for big decisions. You know, this is a time to just enjoy these children that God has given to us. When we start sleeping, we'll become normal people again. But right now, we're not normal people. And so extend that, that grace. If, if you have a new child in your home, I would encourage you, don't move. Don't accept a new job. You know, don't try to climb Mount Everest. It's not a season for that. It's a season for grace. You extend grace. And so you can start to apply that to your, to your life. And be wise, be discerning, and go, okay, I realize what's going on here. I'm having to travel a lot for, for, for my job. During the, this season, we've had to pick up extra work. Okay, there's a physical difficulty in my life. So I'm not, I'm not normal. My spouse isn't normal. You're, you're single. You're going through a, a physical difficulty. You go, I, I, I know I'm not up to par. And so I need to experience God's grace and extend that grace. This is what I know from personal experience when I don't recognize that it's a season for grace, there's a great cost to taking action at the wrong time. 
There's, there's great cost to saying, I'm going to press the issue when it's not time to press the issue. So God, please give us the wisdom to know when to extend grace. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he did not, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes. From the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. Isn't there just something gross about toes? When you, when you read that, and the scripture says that he didn't take care of his feet, like, ooh, that's nasty, you know? This guy's just letting his toenails grow, right? And beards are in. Beards are cool. But a mustache? I mean, just a long mustache? You know, you're like, man. And then he decides to not wash his clothes. Every once in a while, you get a whiff of someone where you're like, bro, it is time to wash your clothes, you know. Deodorant, you know. It's, Mephibosheth just stops doing the basic hygiene. Why? Because he's so grieved that David is not in Jerusalem, that David doesn't have his throne, and that Ziba, his servant, had betrayed him to David. So it was when he'd come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go to the king, because your servant is lame. Ziba said, No, no, you don't need to go to David. I'll go to David for you. I'll take David some supplies on your behalf. But then he slandered Mephibosheth, verse 27. And he slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your table. Therefore, what's right Therefore, what right have I to still cry out any more to the king? Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul. Normally, all the descendants that could potentially be heirs to the throne would be killed. And Mephibosheth was given a seat at David's table. So the king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I've said you and Ziba divide the land. David had given all the land to Ziba. Now he says, you guys split it 50-50. Do you think David's just tired and he doesn't want to look into this matter? He's saying, let's not talk about this anymore. Let's just split it 50-50. I think David is using wisdom to see who's really telling him the truth. He doesn't know at this point if Mephibosheth's telling the truth or Ziba's telling the truth, but by splitting it 50-50, it's going to reveal the hearts. In verse 30, then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather let him take it all inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. Mephibosheth says, I could care less about the stuff. I could care less about the land. I'm just glad that you're okay. He cares more about the giver than the gift. And hopefully that's where our heart is with the Lord. That we care more about a relationship with the Lord than all of the things that he provides for us. But in times of reentry, misunderstandings must be cleared up. There's a misunderstanding here between David and Mephibosheth. What if they never talk? What if they never clear it up? When there's trial, when there's difficulty, when there's life change, it provides a lot of fertilizer for misunderstanding, doesn't it? Misunderstandings are going to happen 
under stressful times. We've got to know that. So when they happen, have that conversation. That we need to clear this up. We're not right with each other. Somewhere, I missed you, you missed me in the busyness of this season and this craziness of this season that we're in. God now gives us a picture of, of friendship. In verse 31, in Barazilia, the Gilite came down from Rogalium and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now, Barazilia was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Maenahem, for he was a very rich man. So Barazilia was faithful to come to David as he was fleeing, crosses the Jordan the first time. Now he's coming back and saying, I want to be part of this parade of David re-entering to the throne. He was a very rich man, and he uses what God had blessed him with to bless others, to encourage a servant of God who's, who's in need. In verse 33, And the king said to Barazilia, Come across with me, and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. David's so touched, he's saying, I just want you to come live with me. I want you to make your home in Jerusalem. I'll take care of all of your needs. We can hang out. We can enjoy fellowship together. But Barazilia said to the king, How long have I to live? that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem. I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and the bad? So he admits some things about his age here. He says, I'm 80 years old. I'm having a hard time discerning between what's good and bad. Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Pretty much it's all tasting like oatmeal to me at this point in my life. I'm 80 years old. I couldn't tell if you were bringing me a filet mignon or you were bringing me some oatmeal. Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? I mean, we think about now how blessed we are for hearing aids, for cataract surgery. For him being 80 years old, he's losing his hearing. There's nothing he can do about it. He's like, I couldn't tell if one of your servants was singing a good song or they were off key. Why then should your servant be a further burden to my Lord the King? He's like, I'm not going to be much fun. Your servant will go a little while across the Jordan with the King and why should the king repay me with such a reward? He never wanted a reward. He didn't bring these provisions to David because he wanted anything. He just loved David. He was being a good friend to David. Please let your servant turn back again that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. Makes sense. He wants to die in his hometown, be buried with his family. But here's my servant, Chimham, that's a good name right there, Chim Ham, maybe for a pet. <laughs> Let him cross over with my Lord the King and do for him what seems good to you. So I'm not going to take you up on your offer, but my servant Chim Ham will. And the king answered, Chim Ham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all of the people went over the Jordan and when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barazilia and blessed him, and he returned to his own place. An expression of friendship in this culture. Why does God give us this in Scripture? He doesn't waste words because he's showing us the value of friendship. Yeah, David had Absalom turn against him, had Joab kill his own son, but he also found friendship in some surprising places. God will provide some people to walk with you through times of great difficulty. 
They'll probably walk with you through the trial, and then they'll be with you on the victory parade. They'll be with you on the, wow, praise the Lord, God got you through this. Praise the Lord, God was, was faithful. You were unemployed for a while, praying for you as you're going through that journey. God provides a job, and they're like, yeah, let's go to lunch, and let's just celebrate the fact that God has, has blessed you uh, with, with a job. And that, that's showing us what, what this is like to be that, that kind of, of person. Verse 40, now the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went with him, and all the people of Judah escorted the king, and also half of the people of Israel. It's quite the welcoming back. Who's at the forefront is the tribe of Judah. That causes the rest of Israel to feel left out. Later on in the Old Testament, Israel's going to divide into north and south. Ten northern tribes and two southern tribes. And Judah is one of those tribes. And this chapter ends with division between Israel and Judah. The, these other 11 tribes and the one tribe of Judah. Just then all of the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan? This is fascinating to me because... They were just fighting against David. Now they're fighting over him. They're saying, how come you guys are all buddy-buddy with David and leaving the rest of us out? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel because the king is as a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at the king's expense or has he given us any gift? They're saying, back off, guys. We're from the same tribe. It wasn't your tax money that caused us to get a free meal or a gift. 43, verse 43, And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king, speaking of the ten tribes, therefore we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Hey, it was our idea. Remember, you guys were slow to get on board. Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Really? Are they doing this right now? Are they having this conversation? What's the big picture? 20,000 men died in civil war. The king's son is dead. David's got to get back to Jerusalem. It's time to rebuild. It's time to re-entry. But there's pettiness. In times of re-entry, pettiness must be removed. Pettiness must be removed. They're being petty. They're arguing over something that doesn't need to be argued over. And how many times does our flesh and the enemy use the stress of the situation? We feel a lack of control. Things are not normal. So I've got to fight my ground. And we end up fighting over stuff like the toothpaste or the trash can or who did this or who did that. And it doesn't need to take place. How many times in the workplace there's stress, there's change, there's a new normal that's going to develop. Things aren't going to be the same. Don't look back. And all of a sudden, there's an intense amount of pettiness. So this has been really helpful for me personally to try to decipher what season we're in as a family. What season that we're in as a church. And to respond appropriately. Because there is times to hit the accelerator, isn't there? God gives vision, hit the gas pedal, amen? Go for it. 
There's time to confront sin. But there's also times to realize and go, you know what? Things are changing right now. Things are stressful. A big life event has happened. And I need to be aware of that and then respond appropriately. So if that fits for you, and you're in that time where, man, life is not normal. You're dealing with a sickness. You're dealing with a job change. Dealing with the birth of a child. It's stressful. It's re-entry. Think about a shuttle going into outer space. What's the most difficult part of that journey? Is that shuttle comes back home and it's re-entry. So much pressure is being put upon the shuttle in that moment. You're under pressure. Don't let your emotions get the best of you. Maybe that offended you this morning. Like, I can't believe that Eric's talking to me about controlling my emotions. If I'm having a bad day, I want everybody to feel it. I want everybody to know it. Well, it may not be wise. It may be affecting those around you in a negative way. It may be better to give it to the Lord. It may be better to share it with the appropriate people that can really give you godly counsel and and help you process it. Do you find yourself in unnecessary bloodshed because you know that Shimei's heart's not right? You're like, I'm going to take him on right now. And it's a time for grace. It's a time to extend grace. Let God deal with it in time. Is there pettiness that's entering into an important relationship? Maybe it's a little frosty this morning next to somebody that you really love. Like, why is it frosty? Because of a petty argument, you know? Maybe you really like being on time to church and your spouse is okay with being five or ten minutes later and you've made it a doctrinal issue, you know? (laughs) You're, You're questioning their love for Christ. If they really loved Christ, they'd get their act together and they'd be on time, you know? No, God's not concerned with that. That's a petty issue, isn't it? And in fact, you've had a really tough week. You've had a really tough month. Life's not normal. It's going to be a new normal. It's a time to be able to extend grace. These, at first reading, these chapters seem obscure, don't they? We go, why did God dedicate 43 verses to this kind of transition? God could have easily have said, Absalom died, David went back to Jerusalem and saved us a whole entire chapter in scripture, right? Give us the cliff notes. But God gives us 43 verses because I think like David, our lives will go through times of reentry. It's gonna be a long road back home and things will not be the same and we can learn from David's experience. Let's stand together and let's pray this in. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to learn from David's experience. Thank you that you teach us in different ways throughout the scripture. Father, I pray for those this morning that this is extremely applicable. Their life is in a season of stress. And they feel like that they're in that place of reentry. Would you give them wisdom? Would you give them the ability to extend grace, to grieve in an appropriate way? to remove pettiness. God, for others where they're in a season of blessing and this is a a moment in their life to really hit the accelerator, maybe they remember this point in David's life when it comes to apply these things. 
Jesus, we thank you that you simplify all of this for us, that you tell us to follow you, that you know exactly what we need for the situation that we're in today. So as we sing to you and draw near to you, we want to experience you. We want to walk out with clarity. We want to hear your voice. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.